This morning, our scripture comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. I'll be reading from the 14th chapter, the first verse, and then moving down to the seventh verse. As you are able, please stand for the Gospel. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I come from a family that was never uh, very formal, and I have lived my adult life as someone who isn't very formal. Therefore, I neither have given nor have I really been invited to many functions that are, um, you know, where, where you've got the little name cards at the dinner table, where, where seating charts have been made, and, and you're very carefully placed. Uh, those kind of formal dinner parties, we do like paper plates, grab your meal, go find a place to sit down. The tea is in the refrigerator. That's the way we entertain usually. But those those really formal events. Probably the closest I think that I've come to that <clears throat> was my daughter's wedding. Um, Laura and Kyle got married they, um, in my home, and, um, and it was a very small service, just immediate family and just a couple of really close, lifelong friends of theirs were there. So after the service, we went to Rafa's over on Lake Houston and had a, a portion of that place for the dinner, the, more the party afterwards. Um, and we did actually have, they had sectioned off a place, and there was like a head table and then two long tables um, that people were sitting at, and it was a beautiful event. And at the head table, Laura and Kyle and Kyle's parents and Laura's parents, and, and then we didn't have, you know, name tags for where to sit, but I certainly expected that people would leave, you know, the, the first few seats for grandparents and, that were there. And honestly, if somebody had, had come um, to that event and then had gone and positioned themselves right beside Laura, you know, at the head table, you can bet I would have said, excuse me, <laughs> move on down. Uh, that's my seat. Um, so that's probably as close as I can come to what Jesus is talking about here. Um, but, but in first century Israel, you know, when there was a banquet and they would recline at tables, um, it, the places of honor were at the right and the left hand of the host. Um, and so people there knew just exactly what he was talking about. 
In today's scripture, Jesus is a, a, an invited guest of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees, remember, those are the religious uh, leaders. They're the ones who help, who read the law, who study it, who understand it, who people come to ask them questions about how best to apply it in their own lives. Um, and, you know, those were some of the biggest critics of Jesus. And so really, a sermon for another time might really look at, that's interesting, that even with their disagreements with Jesus, that, that yet they still had him for table fellowship. I think there's a, a sermon there somewhere, but not today's. As Jesus was there as a guest, he watched as the people in the room sort of jockeyed for the best positions at the table. And, and as he did that, he launched into a parable which was really one of Jesus's favorite, I think, teaching methods. And he started the parable with, imagine that you're invited to a wedding banquet. Now, wedding feasts back in first century Israel, um, they're, you know, we're people here in the U.S. of A., we are very time conscious. We know what time things start and stop, and we're pretty precise. It was a little more laid back than that in first century Israel, where there might not be a definite start time. You come around this time. And so folks who got an invitation who were just thrilled to just be invited, they would get there early. They're so excited that they got invited to this wonderful thing. And then the other folks that, that were dignitaries, or at least dignitaries in their own heads, would come late so as to make a grand entrance. And, and so Jesus is giving uh, some practical kind of etiquette advice here that is mirrored in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Don't assume when you're invited that you can go up and take the most important seat there at the head table. Sit further away so that you're not embarrassed when somebody comes later that is a dignitary and you're asked to move. This same advice is, is mirrored in Proverbs chapter 25 verses 6 and 7. The writer of Proverbs says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Jesus then summarizes this parable, and he does that in verse 11. And he says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, we have a tendency, as we are doing this series on identity, we have a tendency to sort of sometimes find our identity on how we rank over and against other people. We look at somebody, we sort of size them up and go, well, I'm pretty good compared to that. Or we size them up and go, ugh. I feel bad about myself when I compare myself to them. I'm worse off. Maybe you do it when you look at the car that they drive. You look, we look at their car, we look at our car, we look at their car, we look at our car, and we rank ourselves and them based on that. Sometimes we do it with their house. You go to somebody's house that is a big and beautiful and clean house, <clears throat> and you measure how your own house stacks up, and that is a part of your identity. If you're a parent, you know you do it. You do it when you look at other parents interacting with their children. 
If their children are beautifully behaved in your presence and you are amazed, you can kind of feel pretty bad about your parenting there. On the other hand, if they're being, you know, wild and crazy and having difficulty with their children, you might go, well, if that was my child, I would do this. And feel pretty good about yourself as a parent. We rank ourselves. I think it's like a inborn radar of some sort that we have this need or this tendency just to say, where are we in the order of things and compare ourselves? Here's the thing. We do that in our religious life as well. And it usually goes something like this. Man, I know I am not really great, but at least I'm not whoever. And you point at that person. Or, on the other hand, tragically, sometimes it is we look at other people and and they look like they have it so together religiously. They're so spiritual. They know so much about the Bible. They know so much about God. And we go, when we look at them, I could never possibly measure up to where they are. Most often, though, I think what I've found is that we tend to be much more merciful when it comes to ourselves and much more judgmental when it comes to other people. The Pharisees, they were pretty confident in their favored position with God. They knew the law. They studied it. They helped other people to understand it better and apply it. They prayed. They tithed. They knew Scripture everything that God required. And if God was ranking people, and they were pretty sure he did, or seating people in the order of importance at the coming heavenly banquet, they were pretty much assured of places of honor in God's sight. Because, right, that is how it goes. The more religious you are, the more God loves you, right? The better you keep all the commandments, the more pleasure, the more of God's blessings and pleasures that you receive, right? Isn't that how that goes? And if you follow that line of logic out to its end, then where you're going to end up coming to is, so if you are poor, if you suffer from some physical infirmity, then it's a sign of God's displeasure, right? Because if you're really right with God, your life is all sunshine and roses, right? Friends, that is the great lie of what we call the prosperity gospel. Believe it and you will receive it. Because the reality is bad things happen to really good people. The reality is that life can and does take a hard turn even for the most committed Christ followers. And if we believe that that God somehow ranks people based on the way that we rank people, intellect or social position or money or power or good looks or even their knowledge of the Bible and rigid adherence to what they consider biblical principles of living, then we need an adjustment in our view of God. 
God's love is expansive beyond all of our understanding. God's invitation to new life in Christ is open to people of all races and ages and nationalities and stations in life and orientations and level of dis-ease. And in the family of Christ, there is no ranking system. Paul writes this in sweeping language in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And God invites to God's banquet all who will come. No distinctions. And we, the body of Christ, the church, the representation of Christ alive in our world today, we are beholden to see ourselves not as God's favorites, but as God's workers. God's presence God's invitation to the world to come and to experience the hospitality of God through the people of God. And as people who yearn to break free of, of the identity that's found in ranking ourselves higher or lower than others, as people who are, have been invited to God's banquet and can't wait to invite everyone else, to come and to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Jesus' words to the person who had invited them, that when you have a luncheon or dinner, don't invite those who can repay you. Don't look at people and their identity the way that the world does. Invite those who don't usually get invited. Those who have nothing to give you in return, and that's how you'll be blessed in the coming kingdom. What would that look like for us as Christ followers in the church to yearn to invite everyone to come into our services, our small groups, our mission opportunities, our meals, not because they might be useful to us in some way, not because they fill a need that we have, but because we love God. And, and God is all about inviting everyone. Jesus reached out to those on the fringes. He reached out to the poor and the lame and the blind and the sinners, and he reached out to children and invited them all to receive the love and the healing of God. You remember his admonition to uh, the disciples to, to don't forbid the little children, let the little children come to me. And, and he even said to the grown-ups around him, unless you become like a little child, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Talk about lack of status. That would be a child. There's nothing particularly that they have to offer. They can only come trusting and, and um, with devotion and with pure joy at being invited. And the truth is, that is how we all come to Jesus. As a child, trusting not in ourselves, 
but in him, or else we don't come at all because we're too full of ourselves or our way or our wheeling and dealing with God and bargaining so that God would be the God we want and not the God that we need. Whenever there's a banquet as well in the New Testament, that imagery, it's a, it's a symbol of the reign of, God, of the reign of God or the kingdom of heaven. That is a, that symbol as a banquet. We read in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate in a few moments. It is, it is but a foretaste of this wedding banquet of the Lamb, of this time when we're told in Luke 13 that people will come from east and west and north and south and will eat in the kingdom of God. And the host will be the one who has already invited those who don't take an invitation for granted, including the ones who are typically not invited. And when we look at Holy Communion as a foretaste of God's great banquet, we recognize that communion as we receive it is the great leveler. No one comes to the communion table better than another. The status that we may hold out there in the world goes away when we approach the Lord's table. The table that is open to all, where all are welcome, and all are invited guests of the Lord. The communion table isn't the place you come to seek status. And when we rightly understand this as as what it means to live in God's kingdom, it helps us to approach God and to live our lives with this proper understanding that the status that we like to claim for ourselves is meaningless to God. If you've been Methodist for many, many years, as I have, you might remember that the older communion liturgy always included, uh, it was called the prayer of humble access, and I, and I love that prayer. And it says, we do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy." I love how that helps us to remember that we leave our status aside, that we all approach the Lord's table um, as redeemed sinners. And as we approach the Lord's table today, help us to remember that we are all God's invited guests. And friends, we're not invited because we're the best and the brightest, (laughs) not even because we're the most religious. We're invited because it's God's nature to invite. And as you come for communion today, I I invite you to come remembering Paul's admonition in Philippians chapter 2, to let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." 
having received communion, as we leave this place and we rise from the shared table, let us do so with a new resolve to look at each person that we come in contact with as God's beloved, as God's invited guest. And through that, learn and pray that we may know what it is to truly be one in Christ Jesus with all of humanity. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.